0: Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio projects. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to www.audible.com slash college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the college admissions process. I'm Julie Lifcott-Hames, the former dean of freshmen at Stanford University, and the author of the book, How to Raise an Adult. And all through the school year, we're following a group of high school seniors through the highs and lows of getting into college and helping them demystify and depressurize the process. Today, our team of veteran admissions officers and college counselors are answering more of your questions. We've been hearing from students, parents, tutors, and teachers, listeners who call our voicemail or send us voice memos with specific questions. In a moment, we'll find out if recommendation letters are a waste of time. But first, here's a voice memo we received from a parent in California.
1: Hi, my name is Teal. I'm calling from Berkeley, California. My daughter is a senior planning to apply early decision to a small liberal arts school that's SAT-ACT optional. We've gotten conflicting advice from two counselors. One says submit the scores if they are at the school's target numbers, and one says don't submit them at all. If two potential students look identical on paper, but one submits proper scores and one doesn't, who has the advantage? Thank you.
0: We asked our expert Josh Steckel to answer Teal's question. Josh is a college counselor at the Brooklyn School for Collaborative Studies, a New York City public high school. He's also the author of the book Hold Fast to Dreams.
2: I think the first question is that it depends a little bit on the college that we're talking about. It's important to distinguish between colleges that are really kind of authentically test optional. They really don't want to look at test scores or They want students to be able to make a real decision about um, whether or not test scores should be included in any way in assessment of their application. On the East Coast, that would be schools like Sarah Lawrence College, Hampshire College, Bates College, Bowdoin College. These are colleges that have been test optional or not looked at tests for a really long time and that it's a pretty essential part of who they are as institutions. They're looking harder at other elements of the application. Many other colleges that have gone testing optional have a lot of different motives for doing that. And it's important for families to understand that at some of those colleges, admissions officers will assume that if test scores are not submitted, that means that those scores are below what the caller is calling the target range. Um, and so my strong advice first is to ensure that that the family is aware of what the college's middle 50% range is for SAT or ACT scores to figure out where uh, her child falls in that range. And then I would say that if this is one of those colleges that is authentically test optional, that it should be the child's choice. Does the child feel like the scores that she's gotten are are a representation of who she is? Does she want to include them? Um, If it is not an authentically test-optional school, which for most colleges is the case, then I would say she should only submit if the scores are in that middle 50% range. And if they are, she really ought to submit because in many cases, admissions officers without scores in that case will assume that they are lower than the middle 50%. That
0: was one of Getting In's experts, Josh Steckel. Thanks, Josh. I just want to add a few more thoughts about this concept of test optional. Many students don't really know that you don't have to submit standardized test scores when you're applying to college. The reality is there are about 850 colleges and universities in the United States that have said, "Eh, we're not so interested in testing. Okay, if you're somebody who's feeling, I'm not sure testing is going to really allow me to put my best foot forward, or I think there are other elements of my application that are far stronger, you really might want to take a look at this list of colleges and universities that place far less emphasis on standardized test scores. Now, there's a great resource for you. It's fairtest.org. That's F-A-I-R TEST.org. This is a website you can go to, pull it up. You'll see the list of 850 colleges and universities that are test optional and a subset of the list of about, I think it's 195, maybe 200 schools that they consider top tier schools that fall into this category. So for those of you who are feeling some anxiety or some worry about will my test scores be enough to get me into college, I really encourage you to take a look at this huge list of colleges that really aren't that interested in your test scores. I hope you'll consider applying to some of those schools on that list if this is an issue that really matters to you. Here's another question from a high school teacher in Arizona.
1: Hi, I'm Liz. I'm a high school math teacher in Tucson, Arizona. I get asked to write college
0: recommendation letters quite a bit, but I've never understood how helpful they really are. Some students who I barely know ask for a letter, and others who I'd love to write one for don't ask. What should I be doing to help these students actually get a useful letter? Or is it just a waste of time? Thanks.
2: That's such a great question and such a really important question. It's not a waste of time. I mean, to be fair, it's hard because they take a lot of time. I spend a tremendous amount of time on my letters. And I try to work with teachers to help them manage the load of letters that they have. I mean, we have, we have teachers who are writing dozens of letters. And that's, that's a tremendous amount of work. Letters of recommendation are a really critical component of students' applications, both counselor letters and teacher letters. I've had many conversations with college admissions counselors in the past where they refer to letters as providing a context and framework for understanding a student that really, it would have been very difficult for them to find in any other way in the application. So the first thing that I want to say in response to that question is that teacher letters are really important and they matter a lot for a lot of different reasons. One of the things that teacher letters do that colleges care a lot about, teacher letters and letters of recommendation in general provide a window into the school that is sometimes pretty hard to find otherwise. It gives information about what a classroom looks like, what student-teacher relationships look like, the kinds of work that students are doing. It gives a texture and a nuance and a depth to the materials in an application that's, that's sometimes hard to find in the transcript or in test scores. So my advice is first, students who the teacher feels like she could write a really good letter for, That would be a wonderful opportunity for her to reach out to those students and let them know that. I think that lots of times students need some help thinking about who their adult advocates are. It's an insecure time, and there's lots that's happening in the minds and hearts of students that can be super confusing. And so I think that it can be an incredibly meaningful thing for an adult in a kid's life to say, hey, who is writing your letter of recommendation? It's something that I think I could do a really good job at. And then on the, on the other side of that, I think it's also really important for students who ask for a letter from a teacher who really isn't sure that they can write a strong letter. I think it's important for the teacher to communicate that it would be a good idea for the student to, to think about another teacher who could be a really strong advocate for them. And then I would love to share some advice about what what makes a letter a strong letter. Um, They can be really important moments to share about when a student bounced back, when a student experienced failure and and did something really magical um, in response. They can be moments to dive into really important pieces of work. I have teachers who quote from student work. It is almost always the case that teachers have lots of students. And so at my school, you know, we recommend that our teachers arrange for a short interview with a student. In that interview, they often ask, why did you ask me for this letter? Can you think of work that we did together that you feel really proud of? And it can be a way of helping the teacher refresh and and remember some of the things that were real highlights in his or her work with that student. I, I would say another really important point is to understand that a good letter often is not a short letter. Three or four sentences is not going to function as a recommendation, it's a lens into the life and uh, work of a student that admissions officers don't get to see elsewhere in the application. So admissions officers, they care a whole lot about those letters. It helps to transform students from a kind of file, uh, a stack of papers that an admissions officer has to get through in a short period of time, to you know a, a real rounded individual.
0: Thanks, Josh. That was fantastic advice. You know, as freshman dean at Stanford, I wrote a lot of recommendation letters for students, usually for the next step in life, going to grad school or the workplace, but occasionally for high schoolers as well. And here's my sense of, for the students listening and for parents who want to help their son or daughter put their best foot forward when it comes to this process of getting letters of recommendation, here are some quick thoughts. First of all, often students make the mistake of thinking, I need to find the most important person I know or the most influential person I know or somebody really highly connected to the college and have them write me the letter. And that's kind of classic mistake number one. Unless that person knows you incredibly well, they're not going to be able to write the kind of letter Josh just described as being the type of letter that makes a difference in the application and admissions process. So don't go for the most important or influential person you know. Ask the people who really know you well. Someone who's in your corner. Someone who believes in you. Often students make the mistake of thinking, you know what? I got an A in that class. I'm going to ask that teacher. Well, yeah, if you got an A, it probably means you did a lot of hard work. But what you really want is a teacher who can say, look, here's the grade this student got in my class. But beyond the grade, let me tell you about how this young man or woman participates in the community. Let me tell you how they think. Let me tell you how they've grown since freshman year when I first met him or her. This kind of thing. This is the way the letter becomes far deeper and richer, a far more intricate portrait of the applicant than simply a letter that says they got this or that grade in my class. We love hearing from you, and we want to hear from more students, parents, and teachers. Our experts will continue to answer your questions. Send us an email or, better yet, a voice memo. Send it to slate.com. Or you can call our hotline and leave a message. That number is 929-999-4353. Again, that's 929-999-4353. Every few weeks, we're producing longer episodes of Getting In that focus on one particular aspect of the admissions process. Our next long episode explores the essay writing process, and we've got updates from the high school seniors we're following.
1: So, my essay is about me hiking in Washington State, backpacking.
0: That's August Graves. She attends NEST, a public high school in Manhattan.
1: We were just sort of like looking at the stars up in the sky and... I realized, like, how small we are, and that was sort of the whole point of my essay, and now I'm an adult.
0: (laughs) She chose this essay prompt from the common application.
1: Name an event that sort of marked your transition from childhood to adult in your community. I am okay about my essay. Nothing in my essay really stands out to me, so I'm feeling okay. I am not feeling the best about it. I have had some people edit it and I feel like I am losing my voice a little bit and I've heard that that is the most important thing about your essay is that you need your voice and of course it is. But, um, so I am trying to keep people's comments in mind while maintaining my voice and I think that's the hardest part about this process right now.
0: I really feel for August as I hear her thinking about her essay and the process and the help she's getting. And I just want to give a shout out to her and to anyone else who's finding themselves in this circumstance. You do want feedback from other people, people you trust. But don't let this essay be in anyone's voice other than your own. Your voice, as August said, she knows this is true, but the process is taking you a little bit away from her. Your voice is what's essential write it so that your voice shines through. We'll hear more about how essay writing can help students discover who they really are and what's important to them, and how that kind of authenticity is what really stands out to those admissions officers. And that's it for this episode. You can keep up with us and find out more about our experts and teens at slate.com getting in and please, leave us a comment in iTunes. It helps other people discover the show. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Production help from Barry Finkel. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer, and Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Julie Lithcott hames and I hope you'll join us next time on Getting In. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices, on iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book to try out from Audible is Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be, An Antidote to the College Admissions Mania, written by Frank Bruni. With stories and hard numbers— Bruni debunks the cultural obsession with getting into exclusive schools, and he shows how off-the-radar colleges serve as ideal springboards for success. If you want to listen to Where You Go Is Not Who You'll Be, or many other books, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and thirty-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com college That's a u d i b l e. dot com/college, and use the promo code college.